Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Do you want to become insanely successful? Do you want to be the go-to guru in your industry? Do you want to be talked about for all the right reasons? For over 40 years, Kevin Harrington has helped people just like you become significant influencers. Now he's broken the process down in the key person of influence roadmap, and it's yours for free. Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience the success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Garrett Gunderson of WealthFactory.com. Garrett's the founder and chief wealth architect of WealthFactory, a lifelong entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and a New York Times bestselling author of Killing Sacred Cows, Overcoming the Financial Myths That Are Destroying Your Prosperity. He's dedicated his life to educate and serve hardworking, honest business owners like us. Garrett, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me, man. All right. We are super excited. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Man, I uh, started business when I was 15, washing and detailing cars. And uh, I won third place for a young entrepreneur for this rural community that came with 500 bucks the next year, a thousand when I took first and then 5,000 for the state. And I thought I should invest this money. Not because I was that smart. I just wanted to get the hell out of a small town and thought that would be a good way to do so and was super curious and inquisitive. And that path led me into the financial world, June of 1998, while I was still going to college. Great time. <laughs> and I got my ass handed to me in the year 2000 because I was just having everybody uh, invest in mutual funds in the late yep. 90s. Yep. And that's when my real journey began because then I went somewhere every month for 26 straight months, interviewing people, leveraging my young age to get great contacts, to fly to New York and meet with people or wherever it was in the world and just really got a completely different take and outlook on what was possible. And uh, that's really when my start began. Okay. So that's awesome that you did the research to find a different opinion than the vanilla mainstream that didn't work out, obviously. And as we're recording this right now, it's the height of the coronavirus. We've all been told to work from home. The market's off 30 something percent. So people who like you were just holding on for dear life might be looking for a different approach right about now. How did you take that different approach? So you learned all of those things. What, how did that turn into a career path and a business? Well, uh, First thing I learned was like, you, you hear, oh, I can't guarantee future results based upon past performance. But I found out there was four places to really get guarantees. Save on tax, that's guaranteed. Save on interest, save on non-performing investment fees and protect the downside. Like one of my, one of my friends and clients, his name is Justin. He said once the, once the market went down 10% or I think it was 12%, he automatically triggered a trailing stop loss, which yep. meant... He didn't lose 18% more like everybody else. 
So that was another thing I learned. And then I learned that there's a lot of duplicate coverages and costs with insurance. So I actually became an efficiency expert. And that's where I dove in, in the nerdiest of ways to the point where I'm lucky to be married because my fiance at the time, now wife, was like, if I hear the word velocity, if I hear the word efficiency one more time, can we just go on a date for crying out loud? Like that was me. I love it. That's awesome. All right. So then you became an efficient financial efficiency expert for your own life. How did that then turn into a business, you know, literally that's changing the world one entrepreneur at a time? Well, I ran into these uh, two young guys. Uh, Ray Hooper was the first one. And we're in this course. It was like a software course, right? To analyze things. And I was learning about how volatility really destroyed the returns in the market. And he kept talking. And the, the guy from Texas that was the instructor kept yelling at him. Like, shut up. Like, it was just like this intense thing. And then I went up and talked to him. We had a good laugh about it. And then I go to this other workshop that was called Opportunity and Cost in Finance and Accounting, dude. Nerdy. And this other guy, Les, who was a little bit older than me, but still really young in his early 30s, was wearing flip-flops and shorts in the freaking winter and was questioning the instructor to the point where the instructor was like, like, couldn't answer him. I was like, that dude's pretty ballsy, number one. And two, he's kind of brilliant. So, we struck up a conversation in the bathroom, washing our hands. And, uh, and then he started asking me what I was up to. And I was doing some bigger things than he was. And I was younger than him. And he was smarter than me, candidly. So he's like, what the hell? We should talk more. And we actually created the study group. So it was us three. And then we invited this other guy I'd met the very first year in business. that was uh, from three and a half hours south. And we just started to create an intellectual partnership. We created a brand because we were questioning so much about the institutions and what they were teaching us that I was labeled a fanatic. And the firm that I was working with didn't want me to go in the meetings anymore because I was debating attorneys and it was kind of disruptive. So we decided let's just build our own business. So that was in the year 2000 that we built that business. It was official January of 2001. It was about kind of an intellectual partnership with three offices. But then we started to come together and say, hey, we're helping people get more money, but they're not happier. So we like, we got to really get to the bottom of what's going on with them and, and make sure that they, this is sustainable. And so we actually started creating workshops together and we started to, you know, create this monthly membership back before you could just get WordPress for free. You know, we built it in like C sharp, I think. Oh and, my God. And, yeah. And, and so we we're like putting out daily emails. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that's how we kind of turned it into a business. Okay. So what does Wealth Factory do for, for entrepreneurs now? Simply, obviously, it's evolved over the years. Right. The, the easiest way to say it is we help entrepreneurs keep way more of the money that they make without cutting back. But the reality is we help them create financial organization, stability and security, and economic independence, which is find ways that they can have assets and entrepreneurial income cover their basic expenses so that they're getting 10 times better situation than the person that's just saving 10% of their income because now all their active income can be reinvested. So where I think that we shine is we're really good on the tax side. We're really good on cash flow optimization of finding money for them to reinvest back into their business and grow that business. And what we really do is help people change their family's financial future, the destiny and direction that they're heading, and create longevity so they don't spoil their kids and create entitlement. Awesome. So what prompted you to write the book? Killing Sacred Cows, I wrote it. Okay, first, I'll be, I'll be real candid. I thought it would be really cool to be an author because it would make me look better, right? Like better positioning in the market. The problem was for two years, I wrote 72 pages because that's not really a big why. It's more of like, oh yeah, you know. One day. And then 
uh, we got together as a firm in the year 2006. It was May of 2006, and we said, "Man, you've got some epic timing." You know, starting in 99, 2000, right before 01, right before the tech bubble burst, doing something else before 07. Right, and we. What did so you we, do two months ago? That's what I want to know, right? <laughs> man, you know, like we, man, we we really prepared our clients for this chaos. I mean, dude, I couldn't have ever thought that it would be like a coronavirus or COVID nineteen. But we were our, we we've been predicting since 2018 a 2020 recession, and we're not right. we thought initially in a recession. A uncertain, oh. cra- there'd be a crash around the election because we're way overdue. Right, but, way overdue. Yeah, we didn't pick. It was a bug. Right, right. Everything just, was overvalued for years. That was the the straw that broke the camel's yes. back kind of situation, you know. So so in 2006, we're all hanging out in this uh, town, St. George, Utah, doing a a team retreat. And we just said, what's something that we could all get behind that matters? What's something that as a team we would really feel engaged with? And and we said, let's do a book. So late June of 2006, Les and I were going to write this book. We were blocked out, you know, two weeks. We're going to a hotel in downtown Salt Lake. And he died June 9th in a plane crash. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the book got put on hold for a little while because for four months, dude, I was just trying to hold it together. We had 42 employees. And my other partner, Ray, died in that crash, too. It was our, our wow. company plane that went down. And so what happened was in November of 2006, it was my first day off, was the day before Thanksgiving. We were going to drive two hours south to my hometown. And I'm driving, and my wife's sitting next to me, and my one-year-old sitting in the back seat. And she's just telling me how she says, you're an extraordinary businessman and extraordinary speakers. I liked what she said. I was like, yeah, let's keep this going. We have amazing conversations on these drives. Then she goes, but you're really an ordinary husband and father. Ouch. Oh, damn. And so she was right because for those four months, man, I was, I was gone doing my radio show before my son was even awake. I would come home sometimes. Her and him would be asleep. <clears throat> so I was, and, and I decided, okay, in the next week, I'm going to stop doing anything in the business. I'm going to take 30 days off. I'm going to work from home. This is before we were quarantined like today, man. But right. I, you know, I decided to work from home, and I, I just started spending time with my wife and kid. And, dude, I just had this burst of energy because I was exhausting myself. I'd gained 25 pounds. I couldn't even think clearly. And all of a sudden, having this free time, when my son would take a nap and my wife would take a nap or they'd go to bed, I'd start writing the book. And I wrote the book in a month. And the real reason I wrote it was to honor less initially but, dude, I was so tired of having people say, I wish I'd have known this 10 years ago. Where was this 10 years right. ago? And so between that and the mistakes that I had made um, after my partner's death, going in you know, to chaotic times, I was like, most financial people never admit their mistakes. I just said, here's the nine things that, misle- that mislead people. I made mistakes in these myself many a times. And it was a damn confessional and a healing process to a certain degree. Okay, so obviously we'll tell everyone where they can go get the book later, but let's talk a little bit. We won't ask you to spill the secret sauce, but what are one or two of the sacred cows that you killed off in the book that our entrepreneurial audience should know about? All right, so out of the nine, I think the th- I'll say the, the three biggest ones. One I won't spend a lot of time on, but it's that no amount of luck, saving, discipline, rate of return, or financial advisor will save anyone if they're in scarcity. Scarcity is the greatest destroyer of wealth. So I talk about how the zero-sum game win-lose is an illusion and what exchange does to create wealth. So it's a game of collaboration and and co-creation, and it really helps people to understand where those limiting beliefs destroy their finances. The second one that I think was really important was the self-insurance chapter because there's a lot of people 
that are spending at least a dollar to ensure a dollar in their life. And there's ways to get that done pennies on the dollar that increase their cash flow, unlock their assets, and can boost that cash flow 20 to 50% in the future. That's a pretty unique chapter. And then the other chapter that I think is extraordinarily unique is I define what debt really is because 99.99% of the population doesn't know what it is. So they're avoiding the wrong things and slowing their finances down and feeling unnecessary pressure. So those are the three big ones. Awesome. And then you talked a lot about freeing up cash flow, reducing taxes. Yep. Um, what do you think were, you know, what are the most common mistakes that we're making as business owners with taxes? I'll give you a quick shout out. I originally found you because there was one sentence in this book, Five Day Weekend, that you co- contributed to with my friend Nick Hollick, who's been on the show several times. And that one sentence dramatically reduced my taxes. I won't tell everybody what it is. They have to go get the book. Um, but why? See, that's why Nick brought me in. Nick's like a, like I'm usually a visionary, but Nick's like an absurd visionary. Yeah. So they needed me to come in and provide some of these the uh, nuts and bolts. You were actually calculating things. Yeah. It was a good, that's a good collaboration. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that we saved you some money, man. You did. So what is, I mean, why do you think so many entrepreneurs, I mean, theoretically, we have accountants, like, why don't they know these things? Why are they telling us, hey, just max out your 401k and that's all and take your deductions and that's all you can do. Why is it that they aren't, I mean, it took me seven accountants interviewing to find one who knew what the sentence meant and said, oh yeah, you could totally do that. I'm like, why hasn't anybody told me this? Well, because the nature of the accounting business is it becomes for, okay, so if you have an amazing accountant, let's say you find someone who's brilliant, they get recruited by family offices. And so family offices is a a family worth $300 million that wants to hire someone to work for them full time. And so the the best accounting minds typically get gobbled up by them. The second is a lot of accounting firms, when they try to grow, they do it through the number of transactions more so than the value. So they're recruiting very quickly for people to file taxes and they hire historians instead of strategists. So that's talk about that. That's a big difference that man, not everybody probably doesn't know. And it took me painful, less expensive lesson to learn. So what's the difference between a historian and a strategist and how do we tell which one we've got working for us? The main tool in a historian's tool belt is a retirement plan. So they go, oh, look, you could save money. No, no, you defer money that's never really savings. And so a historian is just going to tell you things like, hey, you had a good year. Looks like you're going to be paying a lot of taxes. You should feel so good about that. looking backwards and yeah. counting the beans that already existed. That you, and that, so there's very minimal strategy, and the strategy is very basic. For example, like, you know, retirement plans. I don't fund a retirement plan. I don't think that most entrepreneurs should ever consider one because it locks their money away. It puts them into investments they don't know very much about, but it gives them a fuzzy, warm blanket that ends up being not there when they actually need it. So yeah, that's part of the problem. You know, Nick and I are very aligned on that, right? Yes. Okay. So what's a strategist and how do we find one? Okay. A strategist is going to focus on two things, maximizing deductions, but that's not the bigger piece. They're going to focus on reclassification. So reclassification happens in four categories. They know how to make your active income more passive for tax purposes. That can save you up to 15.3% on your taxes. They know how to make ordinary income, which could be 37.5%, capital gains, which can be 0, 15, or 20%. And they know about the tax-free strategies, like examples would be a 1202, where you can sell a C-corporation for up to $10 million, no tax. Or they know about charitable remainder trusts, where you can donate your business but you get to be the first beneficiary and you pay no tax upon the sale of that business. You get to have an income stream for the rest of your life. The, the charity keeps 10% when you die. So 10% to the charity or 20% or more to the government. 
They also know about tax arbitrage. Tax arbitrage is no good tax strategist is ever going to have you spend a dollar to save 37 cents. doesn't make sense. You lose money. If you're ever spending a dollar for a tax benefit, you're going to get more than a dollar back. They know about things called conservation easements. They know about things called, like I bought, uh, I bought $2 million of artwork for 300 grand. And after owning it for three years, I get it donated to museums for the full appraised value, which means for every dollar I spent on artwork, I got back $2. So that's tax arbitrage. You spend a dollar, you get more than a dollar back. Historians, have you spent a dollar to save 37 cents? All right. Excellent example. Greatly appreciate it. Um, so what do you like best about what you do? Well, like people, when they get their money right, have a much better life. And you get to watch them open up to so much value creation and so much more expression and so much less stress. So like today, I hosted a, an hour uh, where someone heard me speak four years ago. We met and I just did a Zoom with like 35 of their members. And we're in a chaotic time. And what I got was, thank you so much. I like, I like to lead with transparency and talk about my mistakes so that people can investigate their own. And then I like, I like that we get to see real results. Like we get to see real things happen in their life. And look, I'm just frustrated that so many people are throwing their money into the stock market that they know nothing about. They're not getting any cash flow. And most of the money is being made by hedge funds and the very elite few, well, everybody else thinks they're going to get a rate of return and they end up becoming extraordinarily disappointed. And then the next generation for them is born into financial bondage. I love that everything that I get to do, I get to apply in my own life whether it's building a family mission statement or family retreat structure or family constitution, like all these things that I'm testing out in my own life to create generational healing and actual legacy. So like, how cool is that? And then I get to watch people go through that experience and heal generational wounds and see their business grow and see their life light up. Like I more than anything like to see people fall in love with their life again. And I think that too many people are worried about their money and they don't even get to that point. That is absolutely incredible, beautiful, should be on a mission statement somewhere. I'm sure it already is. Um, so we greatly appreciate your time. We know it's incredibly valuable. Uh, a couple quick more questions before we wrap up. With all the success you've achieved, I mean, what's your biggest challenge now? I'm raising a 12 and 14-year-old. That's That could be challenging. Yep, I have 13, 11, and 7. <laughs> I feel your pain. So Who are so, stuck home uh, now because they can't go to school. Yeah, so that's, you know, I feel like, in the last 60 days, I've taken that to a whole different level that I thought I was a, a good dad, but I wasn't quite the leader that I was capable of being. So that absolutely has been a bit challenging. And then, so we, in our, in our company, we have three programs and two of them are absolutely skyrocketing and they're doing phenomenal. And one of them, which has been our flagship program has actually been suffering a little bit since, you know, last year. And so I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but we've had to reinvent that. And that's been a little bit painful because it's not the reinvention, but just the fact that we had to get to the point of reinvention because we weren't delivering at the level that we were used to. But the great news is I'm now more inspired about it on the other side. But hell, we took a cash flow hit. We had to, you know, we, we had to delay putting people into that program at the same rate to cre keep the quality where we wanted. And so instead of being at 125 people in that program, we're at half that right now in that kind of revamp and then the coronavirus hits. So there's a little bit of like lack of freedom in that, even though I have plenty of liquidity and even though we have great recurring revenue in other places, it's just uh, an interesting timing with all that coming together at once. Absolutely. What's next for you? Where do you want to get to in the next 12 months? I'm writing a one man show. 
And I, I really feel like transformation, there's a gateway through entertainment. So in this, I act out for characters. I take people through an exercise where they can viscerally get and change their perspective on the most critical thing. that will help them to be more wealthy and enjoy life along the way. Um, I, I mean, I'm actually, I play guitar and sing in it. I dance at the end of it. I recite a poem at one moment, but it's like, it's a mix between feeling emotion. It's like, wow, that's, that's really hitting me to laughter, to like having an experience. And so that's been so much fun to create and write. I've got a director, I've got a comedic writer, I've got a, a screen, a, a screenwriter. I've got, you know, like all these things happening. I'll be rehearsing it as soon as we finish here right now. I've got a version I'm, I was supposed to do next Friday for TEDx. That obviously got moved with everything that's going on, and I'm sure it'll still happen. But look, I'm excited to, to really dedicate time, and I want to fill up uh, Madison Square Garden and perform that, get it on Broadway uh, eventually, and really reach you know hundreds of millions of people rather than hundreds of thousands. So that's that's been a fascinating project for me. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Obviously, a little bit different than your normal wheelhouse. Way to, that's awesome to see you stretch um, and deliver your content in a different way. Um, for everybody watching and listening, where is the best place for us to send them to get the book and learn more about you? Yeah, uh, wealthfactory.com forward slash megakit. You can download Killing Sacred Cows. You can download What Would the Rockefellers Do? And a cash flow guide, which is like kind of like the lifeblood for businesses, all on me. Obviously, you give me your email every you know, seven times a month, I'll send you something every seventh time, probably make an offer, you know, uh, do that for the next seven months. And uh, that's, that's kind of what you're, you know, engaging with, you can unsubscribe at any time, but you can grab these books at no charge, which are kind of on me, or you can just text 44222 and put the word wealthier in the subject line and get the same package if that's easier. So 44222 wealthier. Um, it's, it's kind of a, like it is, it's a mega kit. It's a bunch of cool resources that you don't have to buy. Awesome. Well, we greatly appreciate that and your time on the show. This has been Seth Green with Garrett Gunderson. Garrett, thanks so much. Thanks, Seth. Have a good one, man. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free Perfect Pitch Cheat Sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.